<laughs> Morning. Morning. It's no fun getting old. <laughs> Did you uh, see our goal winner uh, do Olympic Games? Wasn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> um, Mark was saying we um, happy to see us here this morning, and uh, the reason we are here is we don't have money to go away for the long weekend. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of them have money to go away for the long weekend. How do you preach here? You can't see anybody. <laughs> Light is flashing on me. Anyhow, we are going to the book of Joshua. I'm happy that I have been invited to speak this morning. And um, we are going to the book of Joshua, and we are, not Joshua, Jonah. See, what's happened when you're getting old? And we want to read from chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then chapter 3. Mm -hmm. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amiti. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went abroad and, aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. I know we'll read the second um, set of verses together, eh? If we could get those verses. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. Um, I've been asked to speak about J Jonah and um, the storms he faced. Um, so this morning I have entitled my message, The Call of Jonah to Preach to Nineveh. Ask that, let's pray together that God will anoint his word. Ask you, Lord, that you might bless your word to our hearts as we look at the life of Jonah. Uh, open up our hearts, and I pray that your spirit would be with us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. After the service is dismissed, if you need prayer or need to uh, speak to someone, uh, I'll be here, and any, uh, some of the leaders would be here, and we'll be happy to pray with you. The story of Jonah is a well-known story in the church. A man that um, ran from God. 
And uh, let's rehearse the story before we get into some of the main ideas. Uh, first of all, Jonah was called of God. It seems that his father was a prophet. And, uh, and so he booked his passage to go the opposite direction and as far away from where God wanted him to go. And a storm arose, and that's where we get the theme, storm chasers. And he was in the middle of the storm, asleep. Um, And so the wind was blowing, and I could see the waves up 18 feet. I could see those in the boat afraid. And they empty everything that they can from the ship. And they went looking and began to pray, and they found Jonah asleep. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just having a snooze. Um, And then everything led up to the fact that he was the cause of the storm. And he said, if you throw me out of the boat, uh, I'll be fine. And uh, you all will be fine. And I could see the 18, way, 18 feet waves drop right down as they threw Jonah into the ocean. And uh, a fish doesn't say a whale, but it said a fish swallowed him. And uh, so there he was uh, for three days in this fish. And after three days of repenting, he turned to God and said, God, uh, uh, okay, I will go. And so God spoke to the fish. It's very interesting that God not only speak people. He spoke once to a donkey. Now he speaks to a fish. And the fish uh, vomited him out on dry land. And so he went and preached. And the people turned to God. And the disaster was stopped. I found this, um, this sermon very uh, difficult to prepare in keeping with the theme. If we look at the storms, there are two distinct storms. Storms speak about uh, tragedies and problems in our life. There is the explicit storm that Jonah was in the the whale belly. I'm putting in whale. uh, Because he was disobedient to God. And implicitly we find that Nineveh, was troubled also. <coughs> they had a storm to go through. And uh, God warned them, and they turned to God. So this morning, I want to focus on Jonah. Jonah was called of God to preach to Nineveh. Um, it is like asking a Jew to go to present-day Iraq, this, that's where Nineveh was. 
it wouldn't happen. To ask these people to repent, it wouldn't happen. He'll be charged for high treason because he'll be working because Iraq and Iran and these nations are bent on destroying Israel. And so um, we don't know why, but he was called to preach. Did he hear a voice? Did a prophet speak to him? We don't know. But he heard from God. And God spoke to him. And he tried to do what God wanted him to do. How do we know when God speaks to us today? Let me make this distinction in the New Testament. There is no difference between a full-time worker and a part-time worker. Was Paul a full-time worker or a part-time worker? We don't know. We don't know that the apostles spent a lot of time preaching. People like Stephen and others preached also, and they turned the world upside down. So this is very important to keep in mind as we look at the call of God. Um, When God calls you, from what I have studied and looked at, the majority of people do not speak of a supernatural call, the pastors. It's a feeling, it's a burden to win souls. How do you know you're called? Um, you begin to be fruitful in what you're doing. If you are teaching Sunday school or leading music or whatever you're doing, you are witnessing, you'll begin to win souls. Um, you will begin to um, uh, you are beginning to obey God's word. And a feeling of worries me if I preach, if I don't preach the gospel, like Paul. And uh, uh, the affirmation of brethren coming to you and saying, um, you, have you ever considered uh, the ministry? And the feeling that you are... The only thing that you are happy doing is preaching the word of God. Uh, Let me say that I am concerned both as a pastor and someone who teaches um, with the emphasis of the Bible college education, which I have 15 years of. And so I'm speaking from both sides. There is people who are encouraged to go to Bible school, and some way, somehow, along the line, they would be uh, into ministry. Some way, somehow, I think we have a, um, a real problem here. The problem is we don't have enough churches. 
to, for young people to go into ministry. And the people who graduate from Bible college, only 5% are going into the ministry now. And of the 5%, uh, within two years, they drop out of the ministry because they can't find a full-time place. That's one of the things we face in this call. My girls, one of my girls came to me when she was home and asked, Dad, can I go to Bible college? I says to her, I says, what you learn at my table, you could take on any Bible college graduate at any time. And um, uh, anyhow, I, let me continue on. I'm not against Bible college. Let me make this distinction again. There's no distinction in the New Testament between a full-time worker and a part-time worker. We are all called to ministry. Amen? Was Paul a part-time worker or a full-time worker? Nineveh was a city of 300,000 with fence walls where two chariots could travel around. It was an industrial city. It had a heating system and a cool system. It had running water. It, wa- it had gold and silver and copper. It was an educated city. It had one of the best libraries during that time of 30,000 volumes of books. But this city is described as very wicked. Let me say, as I continue this morning... uh, Preaching, the method of preaching changes around every 50 years. And the response of people changes from period to period. So what one group of people would respond to previously will not respond to today. During the time of the founding of the Americas, people responded to a preaching of judgment. Today, the greatest need I see in people's lives is not judgment, but a need to be encouraged because people's lives are devastated. And here I am given a text of where judgment is one of the focal points. So I I want you to keep that in mind as we go through uh, this sermon this morning. When I looked up the word wicked, it, it, it has the idea of a wild beast. A wild beast has no morals. They would eat one another. They will kill for one another. They will steal from one another. They are absent of morals. 
They are moral. Amoral means without any morality. And uh, it describes very well what is happening in our world. Wicked. When uh, the heads of banks become thieves and decimate a whole culture, we have a moral problem. They're not stealing $20 or $100. They're stealing billions of dollars. When rich nation uh, keeps poor nations poor, we have a moral problem, a wicked nation. And today the philosophy is, uh, what's in it for me? And so without going too much into the negative, you and I know fully well we, the, the problems in our world today. So he was asked to go to a wicked city. The second thing, he ran from that call. As I have traveled around the world, I observe, I look, I ask questions. And one of the worst groups of people I have encountered are those who feel they have a call of God upon their lives. They're just like Jonah. Angry, frustrated, very unhappy because they're running from the call of God. As I said before, very, very few people have a concept or a feeling or a knowledge of a supernatural call where an angel or something appeared to them. But if you're here this morning and God have called you to ministry, don't run. Don't run. Turn to God. <clears throat> Obedience is a better word and easier. Jonah went the opposite direct direction. Why was Jonah uh, disobedient? He didn't want to help Israel's enemy. And he knew that God was merciful. Isn't that something interesting? He knew God was merciful. And these people might repent. God sent a storm to help Jonah to rethink his position and to humble himself. Let me say this for those of you who don't know. Storms come for various reasons. Storms come from various areas. It might be something in the world. It might be something surrounding us. It might be from God. It might be from the devil. You be careful when you say, God spoke to me. You need to know for sure. Let's continue. Concerning the fish, Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And I, there are many documents to prove that people have been swallowed by whales. 
um, I want to bring to your mind one record, the record of the British Admiralty testified that James Bradley, an apprentice seaman on a whaler, was swallowed by a whale in, in February 1891, some 200 miles east of the Falcon Islands in the South Pacific. One of the other interesting things about storms is that for some reason, people respond to God more when things are going bad than when things are going good. For example, why does people in Africa and other third world nations respond more readily to the gospel than North Americans. We are an affluent nation. We have more. We could buy what we want. We could eat what we want. And so people don't respond. But say cancer strikes and people are beginning to ask questions. But do not misrepresent what a storm might bring as the voice of God. God might have no reference. I, I remember a young lady who was in a car accident in one of the churches we pastored, and she almost died. The other person died, and she interpreted that accident as the voice of God calling her to ministry. Thank the Lord she is not in that ministry. She has two beautiful children now. She has gone to university and is a school teacher. I'm not saying that God does not speak, but you have to be careful what is happening and is it an accident? Is it, is it the devil? Is it God that is speaking? Here was Jonah. Now in the bottom of the ocean for three days in the whale's stomach um, with all type of weeds rubbing his bald head and his body, the acid going on his body. And there, is, it is, uh, there are two areas. One is filled with air and he probably was in this area that he got oxygen and lived. But it was suffering. And, and he argued with God for three days. And after three days, he said, okay, God, I will go. And the fish had an upset stomach. <laughs> and this fish spit him out on the uh, ocean. And he went and did what he was uh, supposed to do. Sometimes God uses storms to redirect our lives. In 1993, as most of you would know, that I had open heart surgery. I used to be a pastor until then, and then um, I could not pastor anymore. I tried going and pastor a larger church in Alberta and came back after a year. And I am doing what I am doing today is missionary work twice a year, training pastors around the world. Uh, we have trained um, over 
almost 6,000 pastors and not the number of people that are one to the Lord would, have, would be in the hundreds of thousands of people through a process of multiplication where these people would win others to the Lord. God had to bring me to that position or, or he used that. And most people, my doctors included, said, you're finished. Go home and just relax. But God, I took that. And I asked myself, now what can I do for the kingdom of God amidst my position? And um, it's a wonderful ministry. And um, otherwise, I'd still be pastoring and uh, just a few souls wanted the Lord. Now we, when I go up to heaven, I could imagine the jewels I would have around my head <laughs> that the Lord have given me. And God sometimes allow things to happen so that he can redirect us. <clears throat> God had to bring Jonah to a place to make a decision. And let me say that nowhere in the story do I get the impression that God forced him in a corner? No. God always gives us free will. And he came to a decision all by himself. God will never force himself upon any one of us. He wouldn't. Free will always is his pleasure. You must decide. And so he decided that, um, that he would go and preach. And so the last point here, and as I said, um, probably we need to be reminded, probably some of us respond better to judgment than to the love of God. Jonah wanted to preach judgment. Judgment without the gospel is not the gospel. Judgment without repentance is not the gospel. The gospel includes repentance to turn from your wicked ways. And so God confronted the nation through Jonah. Yeah, he's complaining about this plant that grew over his head. That is because, could you imagine being in a fish stomach for three days? The poor guy was probably tattered his clothes with the acid in the fish stomach. He probably had big sores all over, burnt with acid. And his head was bald. But, and he's hiding from the sun. And the people see him. <laughs> and they ask him, where are you from? Oh, and he tells them the story that he has been running from God. And his demeanor tells the story. And he says, you need to repent. 
40 days. And you will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Very interesting. That God will send a man to preach repentance and grace to a foreign nation. One of the things we know is that God called the Jews, but the nations around mix between monotheism and polytheism. Monotheism is the worship of one God. Polytheism is the worship of many gods. This city was involved in the fertility cult. They had a hundred at least a hundred young women dedicated as prostitutes in the temple. They were paid by the temple and operated. As we uh, have uh, given your, your, um, yourself to be pure as a Christian, in the eyes of God, you have the opposite. And there are many fertility calls. And so they were involved in that. They probably were involved in child sacrifice. Probably they were involved in all the extreme things. And he had to preach. And the people repented. <laughs> the word got to the king. And I could see the king taking out his, uh, his what do you call it, crown? <laughs> And the judges and all the people of 300,000, including the animals. No water. No food. And they're going before God Almighty, Jehovah God, and saying, Mercy, mercy, Lord, mercy. We have sinned. We have, uh, we repent. We, we're going to stop doing all this wickedness. I could see the temple prostitutes and the high priests and the people who kidnap young women, people who sold people in slavery, begging God, mercy, mercy. And as they cried to God, God heard from heaven, and it does not say it took 40 days. It probably was a very short time that God heard. And God said, okay, I'm going to change my mind. Did Jonah need God, deserve God's grace? Because what we see here is a beautiful story of the gospel. Grace, grace. Did Jonah deserve God's grace? No, he didn't deserve God's grace. But the Bible says where sin abound, grace much more abound. He turned his life to God. Did Jonah, a backslider, deserve God's grace? No. That is the story of God's love. None of us deserve God's grace. I remember when I was pastoring one of my early churches. We had some special meetings, and a man walked into his 
the church. He and his son. He was probably in his late 40s, early 50s, and I could see him. He had a dirty pair of slacks. He had a dirty pair of shirt. He had a dirty pair of shoes. He was drunk. And as the gospel was preached, the man came up and gave his life to Christ. This was during the week. On Sunday, I saw him again. He had a clean pair of pants, a clean shirt, a clean pair of shoes. He was totally transformed by the grace of God. That is the power of the cross. Did Nineveh deserve the grace of God? Of course not. They were wicked. They were bad people. But that is the story of the cross. The cross. We used to sing that song, What Can Wash Away My Sin? What is it? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus washes us and makes us new creatures. Paul tells us if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Do we deserve God's grace? Grace is unmerited favor, something you can't work for. It's a gift. It's like somebody putting into your account uh, $5 million. And God puts into our account forgiveness and atonement. Canceled. All the wickedness has been canceled by the blood of Jesus. And if you are here this morning, like me, when I became a Christian after several years, I thought I was brainwashed with the emotion of a Pentecostal church. The Lord gave me Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore now there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning, if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. It has been washed away. It has been cast into the sea of forgetfulness. It has been taken miles and miles away where no one can go. That's what the blood of Jesus does. And so if you are in a position like that, I want to tell you, that there is victory and there is hope in the blood of Jesus. You know the devil is a liar. Do you know that? And I, if he's lying to you and telling you, oh, what about that sin you committed and that sin you committed and the other sin you committed? Tell him there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. It has been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. You know the story of John Newton who brought slaves from Africa. And the Spirit of God got hold of him one day and he would pen the song, 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. He would go preaching where the slaves were, and he would walk William Wilberforce to free slaves in England and throughout the British Commonwealth. That's what God does. That's what God does. God takes somebody who are hopeless, who have done the most miserable things, and transform him by the blood of Jesus. Ephesians tells us, but for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, that no man should glory. Martin Luther, after spending many years doing his PhD in theology, wrestling under the question of how one is justified in the eyes of God, he came to the conclusion, we are saved by faith alone and by grace alone. He wrote, I cannot submit my faith either uh, to the popes or to the councils because it is clear as they that they have frequently erred and contradicted each other. Unless, therefore, I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. It is by grace, grace alone. It is by grace, it is by faith, by putting your faith in the cross, on what Jesus did on the cross, that we are justified. It is not great, it is not grace, plus uh, communion, communion has its place. It's not grace, plus baptism, baptism have its place. It's not grace, plus membership, membership has its place. It's not grace plus sanctification. My friend and brother, we are saved by the blood of Jesus. By grace alone, by faith alone, our works have been canceled at the foot of the cross. May I remind you that there is a place for repentance. A place to stop doing what you're doing and look to the cross of Jesus. <clears throat> And as we walk with Jesus, you know, I don't have sin. Ah, uh, sorry. That's the wrong word I use. All of us have sin. And all of us would sin from time to time. But first John reminds us if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus. So if we confess our sins, he will forgive us. So we could come to Jesus all the time, anytime. And I know of no religion in the world that can guarantee forgiveness and guarantee our position in heaven. Thank God. Thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. So I, I, here I am before you today. 
called in you and reminding you that we need to follow Joshua's, Jonah's experience and preach unspeakable grace and repentance and hope for the nations of the world. I don't know why I'm mixing up Jonah and, and Joshua all the time. If what Jesus said is true, that he's the only way to heaven, then the billions of people, the hundreds of millions who do not know Jesus is still waiting for us to bring the gospel. I'm glad I belong to this church where there's a missionary heart. I'm glad that 20 people is away. I'm glad I'll be going to Indonesia uh, in the fall to be part of sharing the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for sending Jesus to die for us that we might have forgiveness and hope. May your blessings be upon us now. For Jesus' sake, amen. Have a good weekend.